Hi guys, Rob here. Sam has had the uh, audacity to go off and get married, so isn't here this week for this week's show. So instead of bringing you a new episode in our Catherine Bigelow month, we've thrown it back to the old school, as those kids say, and we are bringing you an episode from our first series, our second ever episode, uh, and another Catherine Bigelow film, the one we aren't covering this month, and that's Zero Dark Thirty. So forgive the rough around the approach, this literally was our second recording. Um, but given we had to cover a week, and we thought this would be a good episode to cover it. So without further ado, I shall hand you back on to our past selves for Zero Dark Thirty. Welcome to the second episode of The Prestige, a podcast about films and filmmaking. In each programme, we'll be focusing on a particular movie and a theme that's loosely based on that. The idea is to use this one film as a jumping off point to talk about bigger ideas about film and culture. And then after some reviewing and discussion slash argument, and if you heard last week's episode, you know about that, we'll finish off with a few other bits and pieces, recommendations, maybe. But let's not get ahead of ourselves, we do the podcast first so question is who are we my name's sam knowles and i'm a writer and teacher and i write about various things books graphic novels culture bits about film but i'm basically here to learn more from i'm rob maythorn and i spent the last 10 years working in the film industry on little low budget films all the way up to major international hollywood productions i work as a film colorist and i've worked on most continents around the world doing film technology and film colour and I've got a degree in film. So this week we're going to be looking at a film called Zero Dark Thirty that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, So Sam, your thoughts? Well I was hoping to get your thoughts first actually because well Rob has some inside information about this. Uh, Yeah Zero Dark Thirty is one of the films that I worked on. Uh, We shot in India and Jordan for about three months um, the film, if you haven't seen it, essentially tells the story of the American CIA hunt for Osama bin Laden. Everything from sort of the first day on the job from this uh, this one researcher, this one analyst, all the way through to the final SEAL Team 6 assault on uh, his bunker. And it's told over several years, and it takes in everything from data mining through to what we should call enhanced interrogation techniques, all the way through to obviously a very action-oriented last sort of half an hour of this raid. It deals with graphically with things like torture and death and terrorism and also sort of military sort of warfare and that kind of thing. It's directed by uh, Catherine Bigelow and stars Jessica Chastain in the main role um, but has support from people like Carl Chandler, people like uh, Chris Pratt and loads of other people you're looking at. Oh yeah, I know you from various other things. Even John Barrowman at one point. Yep, John Barrowman stars as Sears with uh, James Gandolfini. Um, so it's oh, it's not kind of Terence Malick level of insane cameos, but there's a lot of people. Oh, you're in one scene, but I recognise you. It's I would I would say I, from my point of view, bias already haven't made it. I think it's a good film. I don't think it's an enjoyable film, but I think the nature of them is material makes it not an enjoyable film, and it's not probably it's certainly not a fun film. 
but I do think it's a good film. It's one that I'm quite proud of him being involved in. Yeah, I think, it, well, putting up against the film we looked at last week, I'd say it's better than that, but far less enjoyable than that. And that showed you the difference between something fun and something good. Yeah, I think that, that I think there is a whole sort of sub not even genre, but collection of films that are amazing, but you don't want to watch them again. Films like Irreversible, films like Requiem for a Dream, that are great films, really, really enjoyable, really good films to watch. But you're like, I've seen that now. I feel horrible inside. I don't want to watch anything else. Yeah, and I think it falls into that category. I think, particularly if you. Watch from, we're not going to spoil things. Obviously, this, people know how the story plays out, so it's, it, there aren't really spoilers when it comes to this kind of film. But the first half an hour is pretty much torture. It is, you know, people in CAI black sites around the world being tortured by the Americans. There's waterboarding, there's humiliation, there's physical violence, all this kind of thing. It all happens in the first opening sort of act of the film. It does open big in that respect. Yeah, I, I think... Well, in that in that first half an hour, I saw this in in several bits, but, and actually, I, I finished shortly before we started recording. So uh, I'm in a great place, having <laughs> having just finished that. Um, but um, w- watching the first half hour, I just thought, oh, it's this again. I mean, yeah, it, it's obviously a great film from the way it's put together, but I just thought from looking at it. Okay, I've seen this before, and this is really why I haven't enjoyed a war film since I saw Apocalypse Now. This is, mm. I, I know this is going to be a hard two and a half hours from here. But, having said that, the moment that stopped, and something something we talked about um, as a tentative sort of theme for this, this week was the idea of the other. Um, and that was, I mean, you can, you can talk about how those sections are very much about the American treatment of the other. Mm. But the, uh, moment, the moment that stopped, I thought it was a great film about Jessica Chastain as the other. Yeah, there's, I think, I think, as, if we, I think we could get into it earlier this week, but that's very cool. That War films particularly have a bad track record of dealing with the idea of an other. Um, especially, and I want to lay blame quite heavily in America, American war films are very bad at this there's a very much uh there's us and we're the good guys and there's them and they're weird and they're bad and they're the other team and there's very much there's very little depiction of the other team of being humanized in any manner and i think that that's there are many reasons to do that i think to do with the american psyche and i think this if you're looking quite big themed here there's a lot in america about the big win you know that their sports are the touchdown you know, like there isn't there isn't nuance in those. You know that they like the the big win, like in Vietnam. Look at their actual war, which tentatively they probably won, but it was such a mismanaged, messy win that it doesn't feel like a win. Same with current wars going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. It's very hard to win those kind of wars. America doesn't like that, and I think their films reflect that. The idea that they they like to have a clear cut good guy and bad guy, and I think this film subverts that a little bit. Yeah, fun fun fact for you about Americans. But when I say fun fact, it's about war and death, so it's not fun. Um, but um, and we'll, we'll look at. I think we'll look at sports films another week. So that's an interesting one. But um, American football was popularized in U.S. colleges in the nineteenth century, 
as a way of people letting off steam who had been too young to serve in in the war in mm. wars of independence. Uh. So, so actually, it is a war game. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a big uh, NFL fan, and you get a lot of stick for it being an Englishman who likes NFL. But it is, it is based. I mean, yes, there's violence, and it's very sort of stop start, but it's very tactical in a way that film. I mean, from my point of view, games like rugby and soccer and football aren't. The the skill and there's talent. I don't. I'm not generally any sports at all. But NFL is much more like. Well, they've done this. We do this. You know, it's a lot more played out set moves, which has its ups and downs. Um, but I think. I mean, to kick it off wider, and this. This is a bit of personal history for me and Sam. This whole podcast and this whole idea of me and him talking about film came from one row we had <laughs> about the movie 300. Um, and we'll go into that whole round another time, but I think 300 is almost the utter extreme of the idea of the other. Mm. And I think that film, you've got the Spartans who are clean cut, they are good, they are, you know, they are the one person who isn't good in their team is physically deformed which is a whole other messed up thing. But the other, the Persians, are perverts, they're weirdos, they're circus performers. They, they are the uh, complete extreme other. So Sam, what sort of uh, other films do you think kind of get this right or get this wrong? Well, I was thinking about this idea, this idea when, I, when, I, when I said that it became a film about Jessica Chastain as the other. Mm. I thought about other films like that. Films like, say, Edward Scissorhands, which is, which starts off. It it, it become well, it becomes a film about his integration into society or failure to do so, and that's what I felt with the main. I mean, certainly the the second act of of Zero Dark Thirty about. Jessica Chastain and the way she related to to the people around her, um, and I I wondered what is it about certain actors that make them perennial others? So Johnny Depp, because thinking about Edward Scissorhands, Johnny Depp was my example of this, but it strikes mm. me that he is always the other, um, and when that you get an an actor that we we looked at last week, you, um, he was brilliant in. Avengers film as an other, um, Paul Bettany. Yes. But when he is not another, like say Wimbledon, he is terrible. Yes, that there are certain people who I think fit well into. Um, uh, what's what's he called? Um, the guy from Back to the Future, the dad, Crispin Glover. Right. Now he he was very mainstream in that. But if you see anything else, he is very strange and he's very weird and he's very much that other. But I think. Bringing it back to zero dark thirty, there's a telling moment because the other main character, well, they're sort of in the other world, is Jason Clark, um, who plays initially her sort of boss handler, but at a certain point he kind of is is this Dan? Yes, um, but he reaches a point of of being done with being the other, and he goes back to the, sort of Langley to work in the thing, and I think that's a very telling moment. Um, in, in the relationship of, the, of being the other in the film, that it burns him out, and you do feel with Jessica Chastain over the course of the film that she goes from being this idealistic, fresh recruit to just being beaten down and beaten down and beaten down, and beaten down about, by being the other in this world, 
there's a scene where her house is attacked um, and obviously there are bombings, people, people, they lose people, that sort of stuff. And then you've got other characters like uh, Jack, who's played by Harold Perrineau from Lost. Yes, yeah. Who very much feels like he's at home there. Yeah. He he feels very much like part of that world. And I think there's a an interesting moment, or interesting sort of themes in this film about people who survive as the other and people who don't. Mm, yes. Um, I think... There was that... The, there's a scene with Jessica saying, and uh, with, I don't know her name, so... She was basically a young, fresh-faced recruit. Was the Jessica Chastain only of seven years before? Who comes up to her and says, "I I want to learn learn from you, and I've given you this information, but I also want to pick your brains about other things. Can I take you out for dinner?" Yeah, Lauren. Lauren was the character's name. Yes, right. And Jessica Chastain says, and she says in response, um, "Don't go out for dinner. It's too dangerous." Mm. You don't really know whether she's talking to Lauren or she's saying it about herself. Yes. She could be saying, I don't go out for dinner. Or she could be saying, avoid this because this place messes you up. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a great sort of scene in the film where she comes through the protesters into the uh, CIA um, house, basically. In, is that uh, in Islamabad? Yes. And that's very much you enter this kind of Western enclave in a non-Western world. Yeah. And, I mean, just to kick it back to sort of my opinion there, this is very much the experience you have on films. And, you know, I've, I've, I lived in India, I lived in Jordan doing this film, but you live in a Western enclave within these worlds. You know, there's, there's 300 of you go over there making a film, you all stay in the same hotel, you all eat in the same restaurants, you all go and do the same things together. Part of that is because you're always working, you haven't got a lot of time off, but you tend to live in like a a small westernised bubble in a larger world. And I think there's an interesting ideas of that in the film, especially from some of the sort of the visual between her house she has is over there. Um there's big gates and there's like a lot of like this is a small bubble of a western world where I'm not an other. And then there's the much wider world around it where she clearly is an other. Yeah. Um but I think I think the idea of an other is we we often use it to describe kind of particularly in the modern day films, uh, the Middle East and international relations. But I think Sam, you initially moment earlier with uh, uh, Edward Scissorhands, that the idea of an other can be applied elsewhere. And if you look at even the Marvel films, mm. if you've seen Captain America two, he's very much an other. Yeah, yeah, and I um, suppose that that starts with with something like Superman, this idea of, of being an alien, mm. a strange world. It gets with, um, there is a certain backstory to the X-Men films, which involves um, one of them being a prisoner of, prisoner of war and being in Jewish concentration camp. Yes. And it was brought to the fore in, re- in a recent film. It's not, it's not always brought to the fore, but they, there have been academics saying, well... This is a way of Jewish American comic book writers trying to come to terms with their own experience as as second generation immigrants, and <clears> how they responded to to the experience of war and of being othered. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot to be said for the sort of the superhero alter ego um, as being part of this. Is that the kind of you? It's a safe a safe space to kind of play with these ideas because they aren't obviously they aren't real, and it's and 
by covering it in the veneer of superheroes. People don't see what it could be. I mean, X-Men, as you raise, is a great example. People have portrayed onto X-Men every conflict under the sun. You know, originally, from what I understand, it was pitched as Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X. <laughs> that's the, that's the, how I was told that was the original idea of you've got Magneto and Charles Xavier. Hence Professor X. Exactly. Um, but people have used it to be, well, being a mutant is like being gay, it's like being uh, trans. Oh, people can take that story and apply anything they want to it. Um, because being X-Men particularly is all about being an other. And if you watch the films, there are there's a whole thing with Mystique where she can look like anything. Yeah. And someone says, you know, if, if I could look like anybody, why would you look like that? Why would you look like your blue-skinned, red-haired kind of figure? And her answer is, well, I shouldn't have to. I shouldn't have to change. And there's very much a a feeling in the X-Men films of almost the enforced otherness, like the world is making you an other. Yes, yeah. Uh, I think that, that, that there is a there are a couple of different approaches to others in the, like, are you made an other, or are you inherently, in the case of Zero Like 30, inherently an other in this world? Yeah. Yes. I think... Well, going back to what you were saying about um, the way that Americans deal with the other, um, I think actually it's something that's done better in TV than on film. Mm. And it's something that, it, that certainly with this, it's, it, the depiction on film is getting better, but it's something that the West Wings, for example, has been doing for years, or it's something that, that House of Cards will naturally do. And it's something mm-hmm. that in films, not I'm, I, I've been reluctant to see American Sniper, for instance. American Psycho. American Sniper. Oh right, I think American Psycho. Uh, yes, no, I've seen American Sniper. Right. So what do you um, think of that? It, I would say it very much fails on the handling of the other. Mm. Um, it is. It is very gung ho. It is very patriotic. Uh, there is accounting of amount of people he's killed that day and the only time that he feels any kind of hesitation is when it's a kid yeah rather than it's another human life um and it is very very propagandary i think uh, bradley cooper does an amazing job i think he, he nails that part and i think that it's uh it's a well-made technical film it hits all those beats and you get the emotional journey and if you watch it you're like yeah go him you know yeah i like him and then you sort of take a breath off the film and like, actually, no, that, that that wasn't a nice film. Um, and I do think it has failed, in my mind, on that handling of it. I think Zero Dark Thirty, um, well aware I'm a bit biased having made it, um, but I have made bad films as well, um, that it's, it feels at times more nuanced. Uh, there are good guys and bad guys on both sides. There are grey areas on both sides um, and there are mistakes made on all sides and there are people who are mean I still think there are there's still generally a little bit more America on the whole better than everyone else but that's just a thing whereas American Sniper feels very much like he is a hero yeah he is he, he, there's a little bit of PTSD but it's very much fixed by shooting things yeah. Whereas every, you never really know anybody on the other side, um, and there is no attempt of humanising the other side of the conflict. 
Because that, that was supposed to involve a rather bigger part for for an Iraqi sniper. He, he's in it. Yes, but, but Clint Eastwood appears to have cut cut down the, the Iraqi's involvement in it significantly. Yes, I mean, there's you see him a little bit, but not a lot. He's very much like a a figure in the darkness. Hmm. Um, he's very much almost like a, a, the, the boogeyman of, of the film. Hmm. There's a bit made of the fact that he was... They think he was an ex-Olympic shooter, but yeah, the, the idea—it's almost that, that the the problem I have with that film is a larger one of I think that they glamorise his killing. Right. Um, that there's no like that there's there's no attempt to go. You know, actually, you know what? Obviously, we don't want to shoot folks, but we appreciate we have to in the situation. Yeah. You know, he has almost a willingness to go over there and shoot people, but no, that there is there is no real humanisation of the enemy. There is no real oppression. The people who you almost get the both the face actors. Of of the other side are either depraved psychopaths who kill kids, or they are reluctant turncoats. Right. There, there, there isn't anybody who kind of blurs that line in any way. And the the, the, the American guys are all good. If you see what I'm saying, there there is there isn't a you know the, the worst thing because not a spoiler, but the the true story ends with the main guy being killed. Right. Um, at a shooting range in America. Right. Uh, he's, he works up working with kids, people with PSD, and one of them kills him. You don't see it in the film, it's kind of postscript. And even that is kind of left at the door of the war. Yeah. It's kind of left at the... At the this The reason why this happens is because of those horrible foreigners who made us fight them. Yeah. All the problems that exist are based on, well, you know, there are these horrible people in the world and we need to shoot them, and in fact I can't be killing them right now, it's why I'm upset. Yeah. I could rant about this film for a long time, if you hadn't noticed. <laughs> I had noticed, yeah. I some something interesting you said there that that PTSD can be fixed by going out and killing people, which mm. is the most wrong-headed, bizarre attitude to it. Like the it's the clues in the name, it's the trauma of war, mm. and you're going to fix that by going out and getting traumatized some more. It's very gung ho American, yeah. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it's done so well and made so much noise in the last few years because I think films on the whole have kind of found a better even keel for these things things like Fury uh, which came out last year Brad Pitt tank movie yeah did a lot more to kind of humanize and, and, and generally these films kind of find that balance and this doesn't it's well out on that rim so for some people who feel that death to all, all, all the Muslims kind of that small niche of the community this is this is this is this is catnip to them and I think that's why it's made so much noise and made such kind of a, a splash is because it is out so far out there. In the same way, if you want to make it really cool, UKIP have made such a splash in the UK is because they are just so far out on that fringe that they make the noise. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, I think almost if you want to look at a good example of dealing with this, something like um, Tarantino's Inglorious Bastards. Yes. Now, this this is interesting because we were very nearly going to have a Quentin Tarantino week and then we didn't. So, snuck in by the back door, we're just going to talk about Quentin Tarantino anyway. Yes. <laughs> I thought we were in there. But I think that's a very interesting film because in different hands that could, could have been a very problematic film. Yes. Yeah. Tarantino, I think, gets away with it. But I wouldn't be entirely sure of saying how he gets away with it. Beyond the whole thing's a cartoon. Yes, I think one one of the really good things about it is another good thing about Zero Dark Thirty is that you're never sure. It, well, it, it's like you said, you know what the ending is going to be, and it's like with a World War Two film, you know the ending is going to be 
you know who's going to win. Mm. But one of, one of the great things about Zero Dark Thirty, and this applies to Inglourious Busters as, as well, is that you you never know which characters are going to survive. Like you, yes. you kind of know that Jessica Chastain is the strong narrative figure who's going to like who's going to live to the end, is going to like, tie the whole thing together. But for example, her female boss who sets up the like fairly early on in the film sets up the rendezvous in in Afghanistan mm. at Camp Camp Chapman. Um, so yeah, that and that scene with her was really shocking, mm. and that 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 I thought was a really good thing, and that was was something that that made made the film much better. Um, and the same for Inglorious Bastards as well. There are there are scenes in that where you're actually genuinely genuinely surprised by who does or does not survive. Very much, I think it's one of those films where I, I'm happy to spoil the film a little bit, given it's, a, it's come out quite a while ago. But with Inglorious Bastards, if you go into it thinking you know how it's going to end, you're wrong. Yeah. But but Zero Dark Thirty, you know how it's going to end. Most of these war films, you know how they're going to end. Inglorious Bastards, because it's Tarantino and he can do these things, doesn't in any way end the way you think it's going to. Yeah. And I think the reason why that works is, as you say, up until that point, all the sort of the classic heroes you think are going to be your hero don't make it. Yeah. You know, the good guys don't get away with it. The bad guys win some of the battles. And Spoiler alert, Michael Fassbender should survive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but there we go <laughs> um, and I think that's a very interesting one to look at that kind of the idea of who is the other in those films because you've got obviously the Americans but some of them are so far out there from normality that they're almost the other as well and then the Germans traditional others some of them aren't as mm. you know and you've got the main uh, chap whose name I cannot remember Christoph Waltz Christoph Waltz um, who Treads that fine line between being quite strange but also quite rational. Yeah, but he is just brilliant in everything. He's very good. He's very good. I'm a big fan of his. So I think I think we're kind of hitting sort of the towards the end of, of the podcast. Uh, so Sam, I mean, any, any quick recommendations from you for films to check out to explore this a little bit further? Think think about this. I was thinking about the Coen Brothers and and their attitude to this otherness, and I was thinking about going back and watching No Country for Old Men again mm-hmm. because I, I like and that plays this idea of not knowing how it's going to end and not being sure who the other is as well. Also, staying with the Coen Brothers, I quite enjoyed Inside Lewin Davis last year <clears throat> although it's it's just bizarre in a fairly predictably Coen Brothers-esque way. Mm-hmm. Yes, those two I I really enjoy, and then then they're not. I mean, it's, they're not. You, you wouldn't connect them with Zero Dark Thirty in in having war as a subject at all. But I think yes. they've both got this this idea at the heart of them. I think that's yeah. I mean, that, that, that's what we're looking for, isn't it? I mean, I I would also offer two suggestions: one war, one on one, non-war one. Really, uh, the other one I thought I'd offer would be the Hurt Locker. Now, the Hurt Locker was the film that Catherine Bigelow made before Zero Dark Thirty. Yes. And it stars Jeremy, Jeremy Renner as a bomb disposal expert at war. And it's very good, once again, exploring that idea of, obviously, you've got the bomb makers who are the other, but also you haven't... Like, he doesn't. He isn't a archetypal, clean-cut hero. Um, and I think that's a very good one that explores the idea of that. And the other one, which is going to be a bit of a deep pull from the mid-90s, a film called The Faculty. Right. Uh, now, The Faculty 
is it's alright, it's a nineties sci fi film where aliens invade a high school. But there's a lot around the fact that the aliens possess people. And you have this breakdown of who do you trust, who's human and who's not. For those of you who don't know Rob, this is right in his wheelhouse. Yeah, I, I love this stuff. Um, but there's there are some interesting... If you're looking at the idea of how people can change from being one of us to an other, mm. there's some interesting stuff in this when there's a whole scene around, well, are you us? Are you, if you're an other, suddenly there's a, a complete lack of trust in that other person because they could be... They could be another mm. rather than they are, and there's yeah it's it's you know it's it's nineties and it's camp and it's it's uh, schlocky in many ways um but there is just to kind of offer a slightly different twist on the same narrative there's some interesting stuff in that film if you're looking at the idea of another cool well i think we've we've talked enough for one week I think so yes I think we should probably end it there so we'll see you guys uh, next week with another film and another topic I've been Sam Noel and I've been Rob Mathon. bye bye. Thank you.